everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Podcast. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. Each week, we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Parshat Ba'alotcha opens with the commandment to light the menorah in the tabernacle, the purification of the Levites, which is a continuation from last week's detail of their sacred functions, the allowance for Pesach Sheni, a second opportunity for those who were originally unfit in the previous month, the function of the fire, cloud, and trumpets in the nation's travels. We really feel ready to be off on the sojourn to the land of Israel. But then, of course, things go awry. Those two inverted nuns are the ominous warning signs. This preparation is followed by a series of complaints about the food options, both vegetarian and meat. Honestly, it sounds a lot like how our family car rides sound after about 30 minutes into a long car ride. God ultimately chooses 70 elders to help Moshe in the difficult task ahead. And then the Parsha ends with the painful story of criticism from within Moshe's own family by his brother and sister. This Parsha is a bit of a roller coaster ride. It starts upwards, we're optimistic, and then ultimately it goes into many twists and turns. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with my dear colleague, Tanya White, to speak about Rabbi Sachs' Torah on Parshat Balotcha. Tanya, it's great to have you here. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me again, Yosefa. So today I want to speak about my teacher, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, um, somebody who I was who was deeply influential in my life, both on a personal level and obviously through his books and teachings. Um, and today what I would like to do is to look at his Torah commentary on Parshat Balotra. Uh, it has always been a commentary that touched me deeply from when I read many, many years ago what he wrote. But today, even more so in light of his most recent book, the book that he wrote just before his passing, Morality, I feel that in many senses, what he writes on this week's parasha reflects many of the ideas that we find in that book as well. So what I want to do is to bring the two together. In doing so, I also want to bring in um, a writer that he quotes very often, uh, American journalist, uh, journalist and intellect, David Brooks, um, and some of the ideas that he brings in, which have also been, in my mind, very, very um, influential on me personally. Um, and Rav Soloveitchik, he also quotes, which, by the way, David Brooks quotes in his book, um, Rav Soloveitchik, Adam 1 and Adam 2. So that's the aim. Um I want to just give, by by way of a very brief introduction in terms of Rabbi Sachs and his commentary on the Parsha, most people who think of Rabbi Sachs um, will be familiar with his Torah commentary. His Torah commentary is brilliant in the sense that he manages to take immensely deep, big ideas, bring them in to understanding the Torah, using these philosophical concepts and bring them down to the Torah text. And he does so in concise essays, which is something that I think is mind-blowing in my mind. Mm-hmm. And he do- and specifically in this week's Parsha, as you said, Yosefa, the Parsha is its a difficult Parsha. We see for the first time Moshe really have some kind of, I, I mean, breakdown to a degree. Um, he's very frustrated with the people. 
they're about to enter the land and we have these upside down nuns which are where we have the Pasuk Vihibin Sa'aron, which is almost the Torah's way of telling us that's ideal. That's what should have been. Those upside down nuns should have been what was going to happen, that we would have gone in miraculously and Hashem would have beaten all our enemies. But in a sense, in the real, the real case being that the people complained, the that Pasuk was put into inverted commas, meaning it was not in the end what actually happened. And we see that in a sense, the dissonance between the ideal and the real is what causes Moshe to get absolutely immensely frustrated with the people and turn around and say and realize ultimately that he's not going to go into the land and realize that in a sense, his own dreams have been shattered because ultimately the people, these people who are complaining about Basar instead of Ruach, and we see all the time the words Basar and Ruach come up, that they're choosing, they're choosing super, superficiality, they're choosing materialism, they're choosing immediate gratification. These people are still in a slave mentality. And it's obvious to Moshe at that moment that he, these people are not going into Eretz Yisrael. And in a sense, that means that he himself potentially will not go into Eretz Yisrael. So there's a very, very deep personal tragedy that's happening to Moshe at this moment. And we see he turns around and he, in his frustration, he says, he says to Hashem, I can't carry these people. I can't take them. I'm not going to be able to take them anymore. I can't carry the burden of them anymore. And Hashem, and, and here Rabbi Sachs really asked the question, immediately following this kind of what seems to be some kind of leadership breakdown on the part of Moshe, the response by Hashem is to gather 70 elders and to take them outside the camp. And he turns around and he says to Moshe, go down and I will, this, your spirit will, I will put upon them. And at the end, he says, you do not have to bear this burden alone. And after that, we see Moshe is able to cope with everything and anything. He has Eldad and Medad, who are two people that are prophesizing within the camp, which, who basically are, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's a, a threat to Moshe's leadership and the people turn around to Moshe and say, you know, shall we stone them? Moshe says, why are you, why are you fighting my battles? It's okay. And then we have Miriam, his own sister speaking in Lashon Haran. Again, he comes and he faces these um, problems or these problems of leadership or these challenges to his leadership in a very um, kind of straightforward way without emotion, without feeling um, the intensity of the challenge in the same way that he did when the people complained. So the question is, what changes? You know, in this moment of tremendous crisis for Moshe, it really sends me back, and I think it's supposed to send us back also, to when when Yitro tells Moshe earlier on that he's not supposed to be judging all the people alone. Uh, there's something about Moshe being the first leader uh, being being the one who's he's the only one who's been in charge so far that he doesn't really understand this concept of delegating responsibilities and I feel that this parsha with its breakdown, uh, which of course we know most good things are born out of breakdowns or difficult times, Crisis. that yeah. unfortunately the way of life that that in this moment you know God teaches Moshe what Yitro was trying to teach him uh, earlier on, which is that this is not really a job for for one person, uh, and I, I believe it's Rav Sachs also who says in his 
his in his writings that it also should throw us back to the to Breshit. That should throw us back to the beginning of mankind, where God says Lotov liot adam levado. That it's also man in general. There, it's talking about in the context of a relationship and finding a spouse. But man shouldn't be shouldn't be alone. Uh, it's not a healthy way to function. And so here, I think Moshe learns that lesson as a leader uh, of people. Beautiful. That's exactly what Rabbi Sachs says here. And he actually draws it to Rav Soloveitchik's dichotomy of Adam 1 and Adam 2, which I'm going to touch on in a few minutes. Um, and Adam 2 is really the person who finds redemption through the connection with the other. But in order to do that, he has to go outside himself. And I think that's part of what Rabbi Sachs says. He talks about the idea that Moshe goes through various transformations in his life. And one of the transformations happens in this parsha, where he, we're told after Miriam speaks, Lashon Hara about Moshe, and after all these events have happened, the Pasuk says, that Moshe was the most humble person on the face of the whole land. And it's a very strange Pasuk, and Rabbi Sachs asked the question, why at this stage, you know, why specifically here are we told that of Moshe's humility. First, we know Moshe's humble, but why here? And in a sense, what Rabbi Sachs says that at this moment, Moshe, the transformation that we see is that Moshe reached another level of humility. And what is that level? That level of humility is the understanding that he cannot do everything alone. Exactly what you just said, that man cannot carry a burden of leadership and even of life, of living alone. It's to just think that the I is capable of everything is a mistake. And I want to tell you that in his book, Morality, Rabbi Sachs shares the most incredible story. He, in, you know, in, I'm smiling here with you, Tanya. No one can see that I'm smiling. But I'm just thinking about whether if the first leader, which she obviously wouldn't have been for historical reasons, the first leader was a woman. I wonder if that's the lesson that she would have had needed to learn, right? Meaning man and woman came into the world in two different ways. And woman came into the world via connection, right? She was coming in, at least in the second account where there was already somebody there. She came in in order to be in, in relationship. Something about this. I'll decide whether I edit this out later or not. <laughs> but there's something about this, <laughs> about this lesson that, I don't know, it seems a little bit... What, something that man needs to hear? It seems particularly male as opposed to man. Yeah, about yeah. this idea of I'm going to yeah, do it alone. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't necessarily need to do it with other people. I have to teach this person yeah. how to be in in cooperation and connection with others. Yeah, I think even more so that woman carries a child within her, meaning she gives birth to another, meaning that other comes from within, like she knows right. what it, it is. It doesn't feel external co- to help or it's others don't external, feel external to and in the same way. And she knows she no, has to nurture and, and help that child from day one. So I think there's something both nature and nurture, meaning both. But to go back to Rabbi Sachs, in chapter two of his book, Morality, he calls it the limits of self-help. And he begins with the story mm. that he was on his honeymoon yeah. and he was drowning and he 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 says he never he was never taught to swim by his parents and he um he went to go and he thought he was you know not in a very deep and all of a sudden um it kind of the the water got deeper and he realized he was drowning and he put at that moment while he was drowning he realized that there was no way that he could help himself that the only way that he was going to be saved was from somebody on the outside and he's lifting his hands in the air and he's screaming help me help me but but he knew that only another would be able to help him, not himself. And eventually someone comes and pulls him out of the water and deposits him on the, on this, on the banks by the, by the, 
by the sea and Elaine comes and the man disappears and he says somewhere out there's a man to whom I owe my life and I just want to read for one second what he says he said that for me has always been what help is like you put out a hand and someone seizes it and lifts you to safety self-help would not have worked at all I was the problem not the solution help for me has always been other help and he speaks in his book, Morality, the entire message of the book is the notion, he obviously goes into a great philosophical depth on this, but the notion is that morality is not born in the I, morality is born in the we. It's about transcending the self. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about looking to the other. It's not just about the I. And he says that the legacy, in a sense, of the Enlightenment period and Enlightenment philosophy was the the legacy is unfortunately what we're seeing today, which is is absolute in, radical individualism, radical relativism, the idea that the I um, is all that counts and that all that is important. And what he says here about Moshe, to bring it back to the parasha, is that he talks about the notion of humility. And he says that true humility is a silencing of the I. It doesn't mean that the I is totally negated. No, obviously, we all need to know our strengths. But he says, and he quotes, he actually quotes C.S. Lewis, who said, he was a man who, of some of a religious leader. He was a man who took God so seriously that he didn't have to take himself seriously at all. Hmm. And I think that is just such a profound statement. And in a sense, to me, exemplifies what Rabbi Sachs was about himself as a you person. Know, if I can stick in a story here that relates very much to what he's describing, uh, I will say also, I'll, I'll link it also in the show notes. He has a wonderful TED Talk, one of his few TED Talks, where he also speaks about the move from I to us. Yeah, he only did one TED Talk, if oh, I so if it's, I it's that, Yeah, exactly, yeah. it's that TED Talk. You spoke about the radical individualism of the world that we live in today. And what that means, if we can go back to the help topic, is that we largely believe that we are responsible or we are able to help ourselves. Ultimately, help resides within our own ability to help ourselves. And obviously, a story showed that that was very different. But I hear that around me all the time, meaning I can think of three conversations I had just last week with friends who were going through something difficult, and the assumption is that something has to change inside of them, and that will impact the world around them. Now, that's true. All that is true. Yeah. But we also underestimate how much help from the outside, I don't just mean therapeutic, I mean help from other people, from community, the, how much of that is impactful on people's spirit. Anyways, all this sort of threw me in, into that thought about how rewarding community is and that sometimes we overestimate how many internal resources one individual can have to help themselves. It's so beautiful and it actually connects exactly to what we were speaking about in the sense that Moshe felt that everything was on his shoulders. And when you feel that you are alone carrying a burden, it is super difficult to overcome that challenge. It's super difficult to, to, to carry it, to carry it alone. It reminds me even... I'm just thinking back now, it reminds me even of when the people fought Amalek and Moshe was standing on the top of the, the Giv'ah, the Ha, and, and he had Aaron and Hor holding his two arms up together. And I, I think of that as the beautiful paradigm. It kind of reflects exactly the message that Hashem is trying to give over to Moshe here again, right? That Moshe keeps forgetting in a sense, or Moshe, because Moshe sees himself as, and he is the leader that took them out and the person. But the idea that you cannot 
carry the burden of leadership alone. You cannot carry the burden of life alone. You need someone to hold your hands up in the air sometimes to support you. You need someone to have your spirit rest upon them. And even more beautifully, Rabbi Sachs, I remember in, again, this is all all his various commentaries and Baalotcha, they're all in various different places. I'm kind of drawing all of them together in one thing. But he says that he has the most beautiful idea that he speaks about the idea that when his father died, he was sitting at the ship and he was listening to all of these people come and speak about his father and all the amazing things his father did. And he said at one point, I wish my father, only wish my father would have heard this in his lifetime. How impactful it is to hear the influence that you have on someone else in your lifetime to understand that even sometimes when you have reached the point of despair, either in your leadership or in your life's work or in what you're doing, to know that somehow, somewhere, you have influenced all of these people. You have influenced people in ways that you cannot even begin to fathom or imagine. And in a sense, what he says is that when Hashem takes the spirit of Moshe and puts it on the 70 elders, what he's showing to Moshe is the legacy that Moshe has created. He's taking Moshe's spirit and showing Moshe himself Look how your spirit influences these 70 people. And he says in, in his commentary there, he says, Halavai, we should all be able to have that gift. And that's what allows Moshe to have the strength to continue after because he knows that ultimately his spirit, his essence has been passed on to other people. And I think to myself, you know, Rabbi Sachs wrote that many, many years ago. And for many years I taught it. And now I think about, you know, how with hindsight, um, how Rabbi Sachs should have heard what people have been saying in the last year and a half since his passing, how he, how much of an impact he had in so many small different ways on people. And I know he knew he had an impact, but to actually see the outpouring of admiration and love that people have for Rabbi Sachs since his passing, I don't think he would have been prepared for that. And this is really, again, so in some senses, this narrative pulls us in two ways. On the one hand, it shows Moshe the impact that he's had. And on the other hand, it also shows him that that impact can only be had if you recognize that you need to share the burden, that it's not it's not enough just for you to carry the burden that I, that morality, that ethics, that building a community, all of those things need the we. It needs the movement from the I to the we. We understand why, why this is a difficult transition, um, not just from a communal level, but on an individual level, there's something very attractive about being a one-man show, right? There's something very attractive about yeah. being the savior who's going to help everybody and everybody will rely on you. Um and so we understand why that was the go-to, not just because Moshe was the first and there wasn't other precedent of other communal, you know, communal uh, leadership, but it's also because there's something about it that is that is enticing. And I, I think, think the pasuk about Moshe being an anav is there to tell us that Moshe was able to transition because he didn't, that wasn't what was keeping him in that mode of leadership. Meaning Moshe was able to accept the, uh, the amendment or to ex- accept this new form because he wasn't there for himself. He was there to lead the people. And when God showed him that there was a better way to do it, he was able to make that transition easily. For other people who are there for more selfish reasons, that's a much more difficult tra- transition to, to go through smoothly. But I think that another one of the, you know, say the Gadvut or the 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 merits of Moshe is that he was able to accept that change that came from well above him, right? Came from God and accepted happily 
um, when, when yeah. it was offered. Yeah, I 100% agree. And this, this pulls me back now to to the two people that Rabbi Sachs brings into this article on Baalotcha. Um, he speaks about Rabbi Soloveitchik, Adam 1 and Adam 2, and he draws in David Brooks' um, The Road to Character. And I actually want to draw in, because I think since Rabbi Sachs wrote this article, David Brooks then wrote a second book called The Second Mountain, which Rabbi Sachs does in fact quote Immorality, but in the article he wrote on Baalotcha, which was quite a few years before, um, he hadn't, David Brooks hadn't written this. And I want to just bring in these two paradigms. Rav Soloveitchik, who, by the way, is quoted by David Brooks, who is Jewish but secular, in his book, The Road to Character. Rabbi Soloveitchik differentiates between Adam 1 and Adam 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Sefer Bereshit. And in a sense, Adam 1 is someone who is going out to conquer the world. In David Brooks's language, he is following his resume virtues. His resume virtues are the things that we put on our resume. It what makes us successful, what we're capable of, what, we, what sells in the world, the type of personality that sells to the world. It is the idea of who we are and what we have to give to the world and where our success, where is our success, how we have conquered the world. That's Adam 1. But, says David Brooks, very often we forget that there's a whole nother element of self. And that's what he calls the Adam 2 virtues. That is the humility. That is the ability to ask the why question, why am I in this world? What is the purpose of my being? David Brooks speaks about that. And he says that as opposed to being resume virtues, those are what he calls eulogy virtues. They are the things that people say about us when we die. What kind of person we are, what kind of character we are, how we transformed ourselves, how we gave to the other, how we sacrificed um, our comfort in order to bring a better or to bring about a better world that is the call outside the self that's the call towards tikkun olam and the question is how much do we do that now adam two is a person adam one creates a work community that is he sees the other as a means to an end right about achieving my goals about i but adam two looks to the other he names the other. He's searching for catharsis. He's searching for redemption. He's searching to alleviate the loneliness of the I. And that is a call to humility. That is what David Brooks calls the, the eulogy virtues. That is something that is, and what does Adam Hattu have to do? He has to sacrifice an element of himself in order to find redemption from solitude in order to find or to create a community and that is what rabbi uh, soloveitchik calls the covenantal community because covenant is a way to create tikkun olam where the call comes from outside the self and rabbi sachs brings in these two ideas what i will say is in david brooks's second book the second mountain in his the book that he wrote wrote after the road to character in the road to character he draws on various american historical figures and shows how their lives were dedicated to a call outside the self recognizing that one needs more than just the i in order to transform the self the transformation of the self comes from a call outside the self but in the row in the in his book the second mountain he speaks about two mountains and he says very often in our lives we move from one mountain to the other the first mountain is all about success it's all about my career and what i've achieved 
and success of the eye, but it's very eye focused. And he says very often we go through a valley and he calls that a season of suffering. That's a crisis. It's a tragedy. It's some kind of suffering that happens in our lives. And the question is, how do we climb to the second mountain? And the second mountain is when we transcend the eye on the second mountain we realize that life is not just about the success of the I, of the self. It's about what the self can give to the other. It's about transcending the self. It's about self-sacrifice. That's the second mountain. And that is where meaning is. Meaning is not found on the first mountain. Meaning is found on the second mountain. And to me, this is the moment in Moshe's life. And Moshe in a sense, he didn't even need that crisis because he was already on the second mountain. He was already there. But in a sense, this is his second second mountain. This is the way in which he really becomes the most humble of all people because he recognizes that even in his humility, even in the knowledge that he's already responding to the call outside his self, he recognizes that even more so he needs someone else he needs more people to delegate and to know that he is not carrying this burden alone and i want to just quote what rabbi sack says in his article he says as follows crisis failure loss or pain can move us from adam one to adam two from self to other directedness from mastery to service and from vulnerability of the eye to the humility that reminds you that you are not the center of the universe but rather you serve a larger order You know, as you're speaking about the the first and second mountain, so there are some people who have the trajectory like David Brooks presents, which he did, uh, of where there's some sort of uh, catastrophe or some sort of loss or suffering. Uh, and some people transition that way. I would suggest that some people also transition even without any sort of suffering, but when they become a parent. Uh, I think that for some people, maybe they're looking for meaning before and part of what they're looking to create with a family is that sort of meaning or community. But when you are in charge of taking care of somebody else, your eye has to take a back seat. Uh, that's the that's the bread and butter of the whole parenting thing. And I think that it's also not coincidental that this is what Moshe is experiencing now. It's not only him as a leader, meaning it's him almost as a parent of Am Yisrael. So he's right now, God is creating his village in order to take care of them all. And I think that it's unbelievably moving that Moshe also describes himself as as a woman. He describes himself, you know, am I the one? In chapter 11, verse 12, in his moment of exasperation, he says, did I, did I carry, did I give birth to, all, to this entire nation? Um Am I supposed to be the one who, who carries them, who gives birth to them and also nurses them? And, and I think in this moment, Moshe is asking for that village to help raise these people, right? God understands that, that exa that's exactly what he needs. 
And I think that that also is obviously part of what this I to we thing is, but it doesn't only have to come as a result of tragedy. It could also just come as a result of realizing that I'm involved in an endeavor that simply I'm not enough to do, to be able to complete it on my own, nor should I be. It's not that I'm not enough. I don't need to be enough in order to deal with that. And so I think that there's also sort of this moving parable here that's also sort of there in the psukim about what it means to transition into parenthood, to really need a village to help you do what you need to do in order to raise them in a, in a healthy way. It's so beautiful because I was thinking also back to the pasuk where, again, exactly as you said, the first adversity that humankind faces when they leave Gan Eden, Hashem turns around and he says, like you're going to have children in Etzev, in Mamash, it's going to be difficult. He says to Chavan, one of your biggest adversities is going to be giving birth or having children. And at that moment, Adam turns around after all of those things and he calls her Chava, meaning he himself says the way to overcome this adversity, the way to build resilience, the way to climb the second mountain is we do it together, me and you, Adam and Chava. And I think that is just, it's so profound and so beautiful that at that moment, Hashem turns around to Moshe and says to him, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's not just you. And it's it's really, really profound. And in my mind, that is exactly the message Rabbi Sachs gave over to all of his Talmudim. If you speak to any of his, anyone who went to go and consult with him or speak to him on a personal level, who was an educator, who was in education, the one thing he would always try and channel them and try and speak to them about was the idea of them taking what they had and using it for the good of everybody else, but to move forward, to, to give to give to the bigger picture and not to do it alone, to do it, to build a community around them, to do it with everybody else and to, to take that message and channel it outwards. So I just wanted to finish with the last story that when I went to go and speak to Rabbi Sachs about doing a doctorate and I asked his advice and I said to him, you know, it's a difficult stage in my life. My children are young, but on the other hand, I do feel that it's something I want to do. What does he advise? Um, you know, from his experience of, you know, both academia and obviously being an educator. And, you know, I don't want to give up teaching. But on the other hand, I definitely want to be able to do my doctorate. And he said to me, a doc, you will always grow from a doctorate. That was his advice. Something that you should do, you will always grow, both as a person and intellectually. He said, however, one thing I will say to you, he said to me, never, even throughout your doctorate, never give up teaching. Even if you retain just a small amount, never give up teaching because that is you giving over to the outside. That's not just you focusing on the self, on the I, on what the I needs. It's also you being able to give to the we, to the outside, to the, to the other. And I have to say that throughout my doctorate, I followed his advice. And even on the one year where I took a sabbatical, I retained one class, which actually happened to be the year of Corona, which ended up being on Zoom. So that was even better. Um, and um, he, Rabbi Sachs, really, in so many ways, characterized exactly the message of Parashat Balotra. I know and I am sure and we all know that he went through various crises in his leadership. There were times, I am sure, that he felt like giving up. And he even writes it himself. In some senses, when he writes about Parashat Balotra and when he writes about Moshe, you feel that there's some autobiographical underpinnings to his writing, that there were moments where I'm sure he wanted to give up, where he said, I can't do this, I can't do it alone. And he always speaks about his wife, Elaine, and how Elaine is the person that helped him, in a sense, his Aaron and Chor, the person that held his hands up, that gave him support. 
even in his moment of crisis. And I feel that everybody, every person has to have that person, has to have the Shivim Zikainim, the 70 elders that are surrounding them, where their spirit can rest upon them. And more than that, that they can see the impact and the power that they've had, even when they're in a moment of despair. Sometimes, as you said, mothering yourself. Sometimes we think our kids are not listening to us or we look at our children, we think they're not doing what we want them to do or they're not fulfilling our expectations or whatever it happens to be. And then there are just those moments, those small moments. And they can be passing and fleeting where we see in our child or our child says something to us or they'll they'll do an action where we'll suddenly say, ah, you know what? I have had an impact on them. You know what? Those years and years and days and weeks of messages that we're trying to give over, somehow they have imbibed those messages. And that moment, and it can be as fleeting as anything, but that moment is a moment of calmness. It's a moment where we feel, okay, now I can move forward. And that is exactly the moment of the Shivim Zekenim that allows Moshe to move forward and to face all the further challenges of his leadership. You know, and I'll just add as we as we wind down the conversation that one of the things that Rabbi Sachs was really famous for for so many years was his communal work with other religious leaders, uh, which yeah. I think is like the paradigmatic example, obviously, of maybe you know Shivim Kenim that were maybe from coming from all different places, but he really exemplified that we in a very, very profound way where he was always speaking about his colleagues, meeting with his colleagues, I'm sure much more than I even know about from reading his books here and there. But but that was really the hallmark of what he was trying to create. And he also called us out on this tendency as a society way before the selfie came into being, meaning he was yeah. calling us out a long time ago about the, rad- the radical individualism and about the need for us to function as communities. So I really appreciate, Tanya, taking us into in, a little bit deeper into Rabbi Sachs's Torah. We will link, of course, this this uh, Torah that's on his website on our in our show notes, as well as some of the other books that were mentioned. Thank you so much for being here, Tanya. Thanks again, Yosefa. It's a treat as ever to do a podcast with you. Before we close for today, I just wanted to mention that next year, Tanya will be teaching two courses on the thought of Rabbi Sachs, one in Matan's Jerusalem branch, which will be called How to Heal Our Fractured World, a study group focused on the works and ideas of Rabbi Sachs. And in Matan's Ranana branch, she'll be teaching Coming Face-to-Face with Text, a workshop in reading the philosophical books of Rabbi Sachs. Please stay tuned. Check out our course listings for next year, where you can hear more from Tanya and more about the Torah of Rabbi Sachs. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.